the theme of this season, uh, but that is something that we have been talking about now for several weeks, this idea that following Jesus Christ and being in union with him should be an overflowing life filled uh, with joy. And so we're going to continue uh, that theme this morning. But before we get there, uh, let me just uh, pause uh, just for a second here and uh, say this. Uh, everybody in our house had been sick uh, and I had purpose in my heart. I was not going to get sick. I told my wife, I'm not getting sick. And so sure enough, last Sunday morning, I wake up totally sick, couldn't get out of the bed. And uh, so uh, I, I call Chris, who calls Sean at 730 in the morning and said, hey, what are you doing this morning? Why? What do you think about preaching this morning? And uh, so, Sean, I've got that call a couple times in ministry. It's incredibly difficult. And so even though he's not here, he's out of town with family. I just want to say thank you to Sean. Uh, last week, stepped in at the last minute. And what I hear, delivered a timely word from God. And so if you've not, yeah, that's, let's celebrate that. So if you've not dropped him an email, just said, hey, thanks. Great word last week. Let, let me encourage you uh, to do that very thing. Airline pilot was flying over uh, the Tennessee mountains and pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. And he said, see that little lake? He said, when I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there fishing. And every time a plane would fly overhead, I'd look up and wish that I was flying in it. He said, now I look down and I wish I was in a rowboat fishing. Is that not the story of mankind? Uh, we, we're always striving. We're always pushing ahead. We're always trying to obtain something, get something. And then when we finally obtain it, we come to a place and realize we had what we needed all along. That's just the way that uh, we're wired sometimes. And contentment is an issue that uh, is a treasured virtue, but is often so, so elusive in our lives. And so this morning, uh, I've titled the message uh, this, All I Need is All I Have. Wouldn't it be great to come to a place in life where you, you could say that with integrity and with consistency that all I need is all that I have. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to take it and turn to Philippians chapter four this morning. We've been in this series for a while. We're heading down the home stretch. There'll be one more message and let me just give a disclaimer. Uh, we're going to talk about contentment this morning. So a couple of disclaimers. One, if you're pining for a traditional message, Isaiah or Luke two or something like that, let me encourage you to come tomorrow night uh, to Christmas Eve. I'll preach more of a traditional uh, kind of Christmas themed message tomorrow night at Christmas Eve at 430. Uh, let me also give this other disclaimer. I'm not preaching on contentment uh, as an anti-response to Christmas, okay? And, and so listen, don't, don't get all stirred up and think, you know, he preached on contentment and, and we bought our kids too much. And so tonight we're going to take it all back. And, and then when they open their presents in the morning, there'll just be, there'll be empty boxes. And inside there'll be a little card that says contentment. And I'll tell them, you got the greatest gift ever this year. Listen, epic fail. That's not going to work. That will not be a happy Christmas at your house, Okay. So I'm not preaching as a response. We're just kind of at that point in the text we've been walking through for weeks and weeks. And that's what they're dealing with here uh, in chapter four. And so but listen, if we preach through this and you do get convicted and you think, you know what, I, I overdid it. I, I extended myself a little bit financially and my kids got way too much and those kind of and you just feel convicted about that at the end of the message today. Then listen, you take those presents, uh, you drop them off at my office and I will take them to needy children. Mine. OK. Did I say needy, I meant greedy. All right. So I'm not preaching as a response to those kinds of things. So but let's get to the truth of God's word this morning. As we discover it, hopefully we can come to the place this year and say, listen, all I need is all I have. All right. Philippians chapter four. Let's be looking at this text here. And uh, Philippians chapter four, begin in verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. 
He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And, and this is maybe one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. We love this verse. We see it on bumper stickers. We see it on our status page. We, we tweet it, all those kinds of things. All right. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's, let's just read on through the text. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Uh, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so he's re repeating that theme we see often again in the New Testament is that it's better to give than it is to receive. And so uh, so as we walk through this passage here, looking at this, uh, th th this is an incredibly difficult struggle. That intellectually, we come to the place as Christ followers and say, you know what? Listen, if my sins have been forgiven, if, if I've got a, a home in heaven, then I mean, what else do I need? Right. God loves me unconditionally. God loves me consistently. There's nothing you can add to that. that should satisfy my heart. But it does not change the fact that you and I struggle with contentment. How, how many of you have ever had this experience? Maybe you did it. Maybe one of your children did it. Is that you just you get all these presents, you wrap them up, you're so excited and, and you think they're just going to be totally overwhelmed. And at some point, at some time after at the end of opening all the presents, either you or your child or grandchild says, is that it? Have you experienced that? One of my kids that a few years ago, is that it? And I said, no, actually, there's one more thing. Bend over. You're welcome, right? Let's just listen. Kids just don't have any filter. But sometimes in life, we're saying the same thing. Maybe not at Christmas, but maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe not at Christmas, but in life in general. God, is that it? Is this the job you're going to allow me to struggle in? Is this the marriage you're going to leave me in? Are, 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 these, are this the best my kids are going to perform? Is this the highest my... God, God is, is that it? And what our kids communicate without filter is what we sometimes struggle often in our own hearts is just simply the issue of contentment, of coming to the place and says, you know what? Uh, all I have is all I need. I remember the story of a, a Puritan who was thrown and persecuted for his faith and he was uh, thrown into, into prison and they bread and water. That's all I got bread and water. And so one of the first time they came to him and they just said, oh, this, this guy's on fire for Jesus, but it'll wear off. Prison life will wear him down and they bring him bread and water. And every time they would bring him bread and water, he would say all this in Jesus too. And so we come to, we just struggle with that, right? Is that it? Is that all that there is? But we shouldn't be surprised by this. Intellectually, we say, yes. God's, God's been good to me. God has blessed me. Jesus is all that I need to be satisfied in the longings of my heart. And, and intellectually, we said that, but spiritually and emotionally, we struggle to get there often times in life. But we shouldn't be surprised by that because, listen, at the very beginning of temptation, in Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of mankind, the total fallenness of humanity right there, the one thing that Satan uh, appealed to with him was just he, he leveraged discontentment. He just said, hey, God's holding out on you. That there's so much more. God doesn't want you to be like him. God does if you take the fruit and eat. God, God knows you're going to be like him. And God is holding out of you. You deserve better. And he began to appeal that inner lack of contentment. And it just grew and grew until finally she took the fruit and she ate. And Adam sat there passively by and watched it all happen. All because a little discontentment grew into something that overwhelmed him. 
And so it shouldn't, shouldn't surprise that it happens often. So let me uh, walk through this text here, this passage on this uh, idea of contentment and let's learn some principles so that we can gain some ground on this great struggle that goes on in our hearts that oftentimes wants to cry out, is, is that it? Is that all there is, God? Is this the best that you have for me? All right. So principle number one, in this text is simply this, is that contentment is a choice, not a genetic trait. It is a choice, not a genetic trait. No one is born content. Now, do you know how I know that? It's because I've walked by the church nursery before, all right? And let me tell you this. I don't know what toys are up there. I, I don't know what kids are in there right now. It may be your little center. It may be my little center. I have no idea who's in there, all right? But here's what I... Let me give you a word of prophecy. The only toy in the nursery that, that is wanted is the one they don't have. Amen? Our, our daughter, she'll, she'll be two in, uh, I think, six weeks. Uh, I've got uh, eight kids, and so I never know their birthdays. And so I just... I think it's in six weeks. And uh, so, so she just talks, say some words, she can say our names, and, and she can tell you no. no. She said, no. You know what else she just learned I'm, within the last two weeks? Mine. Mine. You know what I do? Yours. That's what I know. <laughs> I'm like, what did you, what did you, who taught you that? She said, mama. Mama. She just, she just. <laughs> it's just in her sin nature. I mean, just this, what I want is what I don't have. And so it's not something we're born, it's not a genetic trait. Contentment is a choice that you as a Christ follower are going to have to choose to live under the control of the Holy Spirit on a moment by moment, day by day, impulse by impulse basis, if you're going to grow in this issue of living a life of contentment. This, this, it's a hard thing in our culture. Listen, this season, everything is geared towards making you dissatisfied. Everything you have, all the marketing the world is geared at that. There, there's so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses. All right. And so what, what does he say here in verses 11 and 12? Look what he says again, chapter four. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base. That means to do with very little. I know how to abound. I've got a lot everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, you can mark it. You can underline it. You can just take note of it. Notice two times there in two verses. He repeats the idea. He says, I have learned how to be content. And any time that something is repeated over and over in a short uh, passage of Scripture, it's for the sake of emphasis. And so what Paul's saying is here, listen, it didn't come natural. It, it, was, it wasn't, listen, when I'm on house arrest here, when he's writing this letter, he was saying, oh, this is, I'm totally fine with this. This is totally natural for me. I've just got the genetic uh, trait of a uh, gene of contentment. And so this doesn't bother me. At all. No, no. He says it's a learned behavior that I have chosen over and over again to learn to be content with whatever God's blessing me or whether God is withholding something that I feel like I may need on the front end. The word learn in the Greek is a verb that means to be initiated into is used of uh, initiated into the secrets of mystery religion. And so Paul says, hey, I've been initiated into the club. Over and over as I made that choice to say, God, if I've got very little, it's because of providence. And you've got me here for some reason to help me learn and to help me grow. And so, God, if you have me here with little, I have learned. I've been initiated in the process of learning to be content. And God, if you bless me, God, if you poured it out on me, overwhelming, shaken down, pressed together, running over. God, if you've done that in my life, it's not to be a reservoir to hoard it up. It's to be a river and pass it on. So, God, I'm totally content with that. Paul says, I have learned because contentment is a choice not a genetic trait. So that's the good news. So if you're here this morning, you say, oh, I struggle with contentment. 
I, I find myself often focusing on what I don't have or how I got ripped off or, or how life has shortchanged me or, or if I had this or all those kinds of things. And I, I'm just not born a content person. Listen, good news. Look around. No one else is in this room. And so the good news is, is that's a common struggle. But here's the bad news. It never goes away. It's never like you get to the place in life. Well, actually, that's totally that's not totally true, because the time that it finally goes away uh, is when your sin nature is going like, oh, great. When does that happen? When you get to heaven. Finally, when you get to heaven and God eradicates your sin nature, you'll finally have perfect contentment. So the, the problem is this. It's a common struggle. That's the good news. But it never goes away. It's a choice you make over and over and over. It's something you never arrive at, something you're constantly growing and growing and growing. It's a difficult choice, all right? But let me uh, encourage you to choose contentment by selling one of the benefits. If you've ever sat on the other end of a sales presentation, uh, one of the great strategies of sales is this, is that you get people to focus on the benefits. You don't always appeal to their need because sometimes they say, well, I don't really need that. No, no, no. But here's the benefit. If you would buy this, if you would sign up for this, if you would enlist in this, if you would enroll in this, you may not need that. But think of the benefits. Can you imagine? And you paint that picture and it compels them to purchase or to sign up or to act or whatever you're trying to get them to do. So let me sell you uh, one of the benefits of contentment. All right. One of the benefits is this. Life could be a lot simpler. And if I went around this morning, and I said, hey, is there anyone here who would love to have a simpler life? If you could get one thing, if you could write out your own Christmas list and God would grant that wish, uh, would, anyone, would anyone choose a simpler life? Most of the people in the room would say, absolutely, absolutely, I would choose simplicity if I could, if my life could get a little simpler. Ladies, how many of you this morning? Listen, I live with four women. All right. That's a prayer request. That's not a statement. That's a prayer request. Ladies, how many of you have ever woke up in the morning and said, you know what? Life would be a lot simpler if I just shaved my hair off. Any, any, any women ever, any women ever say any guys sitting next to someone who has said that I'm, I'm going to shave it off. I tried to grow my hair out one time. My hair doesn't grow long. It just grows out. And so I, <laughs> I got it cut really short for simplicity. And I said, Tasha, what, what do you think about that? She said, oh, honey, she said, when you cut your hair that short, it, I can't remember which one. She, it, it was either it makes your face look really fat or your head's ginormous. But either one, it wasn't motivating. But the idea was it may not look good, but it sure would be a lot simpler, right? Well, this idea, listen, if you want a simpler life, contentment is the foundation of a life of simplicity. A life of contentment. Listen, here's what Don Whitney said this. He wrote a book called this. Simplify your spiritual life. And here's what he said. He said, contentment's a great simplifier. It helps focus body and soul on the proper priorities. It calms the restless desire for more. It satisfies the heart with the present provision of God. It deflates pride. It drains the drive of selfish ambition and relaxes the grip of anxiety. Contentment decreases our dependence upon things and circumstances, and it increases a restful dependence upon Christ. What a great statement that is. When he says that in that passage, it satisfies the heart with the present provision of God. What he's saying there in summation is this, is that all I have is, is all that I need. Is that God has resources with everything to experience joy and contentment and moving towards that direction is God's desire for all of us. Now, the problem is this, is that we know that, but we're just hoping we just drift towards it. 
is that I'm just naturally going to drift towards contentment, but just the opposite exactly is true. It is a learned behavior. Is what he says, not a genetic trait. It is a learned behavior. Let me tell you the second principle of this text is this. Is that lacking contentment is not an environmental issue. It's not an environmental issue. Now, there's a lot of talk about the environment, right? A lot, a lot of debate about that and different things in political circles and, and the different areas. But let me tell you something about this. This issue of contentment, and one thing that comes up all the time is the issue of environment. Because here's what we say. We look around our environment, we say this. Well, if I had, I'd be content. If I got to this place in my career, I'd probably be a little more content. If I lived on that street, if I had that job, if I went to that school, if I was married to that person, then I'd be content. So we, we, we buy into the slide that it's, that it's an issue of environment. That if my environment would change, then the conditions of my heart would change. What's he say there in verse 11? Chapter 4, right back to it. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am. So, so he eradicates the whole environmental argument. He says, it's irrelevant what's going on around me. It's irrelevant the circumstance God allows me to be in. He says, whatever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And so the reason he's pushing back on that is this is contentment. is not an environmental issue. Listen, you, you're not. There is no such thing as the perfect gift at Christmas. But there's not that thing when someone wraps it. Go, That's it. That totally fills in all the pieces of my life. Right. I mean, listen, I've been waiting for this for years and finally someone gave it to me and my life is complete. God called me home now. He says, no, no. It has nothing to do with what's going on around me and everything to do with what's going on inside me. You see, contentment is not an environmental issue. It's an issue of the heart. Because sure enough, as long as your heart is, a, is a filled with discontent, then guess what? As soon as the environment changes, you get accustomed to the new environment. All you do is pining for it to improve. All you're doing is, say, you know what? I got there, but what if I got here or I achieved this? But what if I got there? So Paul says, listen, whether I've got a little or I've got a lot is irrelevant to me. On the issue of contempt. Now, let's just be honest. Given the opportunity, we would rather be tempted with a lot as opposed to a little. Amen. I know it's a struggle, but uh, but Jesus, you can trust me with a lot. I, pr- I promise. You know, Paul said, listen, he knows how to get by with little, but 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 it's really hard to get by with a lot. But but God, listen, given the choice, trust me, tempt me in that area, right? Too much. But he states that there are equal trials. He said, whether I've got a little or I've got a lot, it is equally a trial because it tests the affections of my heart. And let me give you some perspective this morning. Because when a person looks at someone has very little, we just say, well, they just kind of resolve. That's just the way it is. They just don't have much. They've never had much. They live in a certain part of the country. They're raised in a certain environment. And, and so uh, they can pine all they want. They can yearn for more. They can, but that's just the reality of their situation. So uh, contentment with a little, I mean, that's just the way that it is sometimes, right? But I'm telling you that in my opinion, the greater struggle is contentment when I've got a lot. That when I pull back, not because I have to, because of an issue of resources, but I pull back and say, I'm not going to do that just for the sake of I'm content with what God's already given me. Now, you look around and you say, thank God that's not me. That's not, that's not my struggle. No one's ever accused me of being wealthy. Let, let me give you a little perspective uh, this morning. If you own a home, if you own a home, you're in the top 5% of wealth globally. 
And so the problem is we compare with people down the street, down the, down the hallway, around the corner. We compare that way. And, and but the, but if you look at a larger perspective globally, if you own a home, you're in the top 5% of wealth. So this morning, congratulations. Some of you found out you're filthy rich. Amen. You just finally thought, hey, I made it. I got there. And so, but we look in our culture so many times we say, you know what, uh, if I just had more, if I could grow in that, those, uh, those issues, the, the, the issue is if I could just change my environment, then I would grow in my level of contentment and to make this as practical as possible. One of the best practices in learning contentment when you're abounding, and again, if you live in the U.S., you're abounding, all right? Our, our middle class, if you look at comparative wealth, our middle class is wealthier than any other, any other country around us almost. And so the issue is, how, how do I learn that? If God's provided, God's given me health, God's given me a home living, I've got cars to drive, I've got clothes on this morning. Listen, God has provided so much and blessed so much. How do I grow in the issue of contentment? Sometimes one of the best practices is to deny yourself something, not because you don't have the resources, but just because you want to grow in the issue of contentment. You look at that and you say, you know what, I, I have the resource to obtain it, I can get that, it wouldn't cause a lot of sacrifice, but I'm just going to, you know what, I don't have to have that to be happy. Because all I have is all that I need. So I'm just going to choose to withhold from that just as a grow in an issue of contentment. Let me give you an example. Uh, most of you know that I like to drive a revolving fleet of luxury cars. <laughs> when I first became pastor, I drove a 1997 Buick, the car of choice for young adults in America. Uh, when I was younger, I had a Jeep. And when Jeep people in Jeeps... Like people in motorcycles, that when they pass, they kind of do hand signals. I didn't know what they did. I just always do like, well, you know, hey, what? I didn't know. But when I was driving a Buick, I found out they had signals as well. You know what Buick do, drivers do when they pass each other? They take their teeth out and hold them out the window. They're just like, ah, you know, so very distracting, very distracting. And so <laughs> some of you are never coming back. You're never, never coming back. And so I disposed that Buick. And I got another car. It was a little newer, uh, but it, it had been totaled. And so I drove around for a while and I totaled it again. Amen. I just to make sure it's good and dead. And so I totaled it. And so then I went out and I told Tasha, I was like, I'm going to buy another car. And so I searched around, searched around, and uh, I, I purchased a, a 19, what I drive is a 1999 Toyota Camry. It's actually, it's actually kind of custom. It's got a two-tone interior. It's uh, beige and nicotine. It's just, uh, you don't... Whoever had it before me, just, I mean, cigarette holes all over the place. And so people get in my car, you know, I'm like, hey, I don't smoke. I just want, I don't, you know, I go, what? And so I drive it home and Tosh says, listen, I know you're frugal, but I mean, can you buy something this decade? I mean, really? Take my daughter to school in junior high? This is so embarrassing. Can you drop me off farther away from the school, Dad? Brake squeaking. The case here. Straight for school. There's a point, all right? The last few weeks, I've had to replace tires, a battery, brakes, ignition. I don't even know what it's called, where you put your key and turn it, ignition cylinders. So I don't know what it's called. It's just expensive, is all I know, all right? And then he come, <laughs> and then he come up and said, You got an oil leak. I said, Just drive it out behind the back and shoot it, all right? I said, It rides real up. He said, he said Because all four shocks no longer shock. I don't even know what that means. So he fixed it all. And listen, it was a lot cheaper than getting a new car. You, you know what I did for days? For days, I was on the computer searching about what I could get. 
for days. I mean, I, I had a list. I had done research. I'm a little obsessive. And so I had all this research laid out. You know, the kid, kid, what are you doing, Dad? Tosh, like, kids, just keep going. Just keep going. Your dad's, your dad's doing research. Go on, go on, go on. And it come down, listen, and there may be a time I have to cut my losses, but listen, it came down to the issue that when, when it all settled done, I hate that car. But you know what? It runs perfect now. And I had the resources to buy something newer. I had the resources to get something better. I could drive, you know, new car. Listen, it wasn't an issue of resources. I finally just had to come to a place in my own heart and say, God, I don't really need it anymore. It's not wrong to have it, but I don't need it. It may cause me to take on some debt that I think for me at this point would be unwise. And I just had to choose to pull back on something, not because of a resource issue, but because I realized the heart issue going on inside of me was an issue of contentment. Now, that's a silly illustration, all right? But you get the point. Because here, here's the thing. On a bigger picture, some of you are in that same place. Some of you are in a place where, where you look at your spouse and you go, you know what? I, I, I totally am ready to trade you in. You know, a guy's wife, all of a sudden, you know, she's just, she hits 50, wants to trade her for, for 225. Is that right? I mean, just... Or God, this this job this this uh, job that I have you you listen you provided but but it's not it's not what I want to do. Maybe you've come to a place and you just say you know what God looks at the level of resource they have they're not enough and so you you tend to do something unethical. But the issue is always the same. It's coming to the place and saying you know what. I could change my environment. I have the resources to change my environment. I have the ability to change my environment. But what really is going on is not an issue of environment. It's an issue of the affections of my heart. It's always coming to the place and recognizing, listen, all I have is all that I need. Instead of worrying about, listen, well, why is this all that I have? Is this it, God? Is this the best you're going to give me? Because this is all you got. I'm going to go out and make my own joy. I'm going to go out and create my own happiness. I'm going to change the environment because I think that will change the affections of my heart. Listen, it is a lie that people buy into all the time. All the time. We need to move on for the sake of time here. But let me just give you some practical things. Some practical things here. Some of you here this morning, you just feel like you can't hang on. I I can't stay in this marriage. I, I can't live this way anymore. I, I can't, uh, I, I, just, I just can't do it. Whatever it is, I can't maintain my integrity any longer. It's causing me career advancement. I, listen, I just can't, I can no longer be content. Let me give you some good news. Look at verse 13. What's he say? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that verse slapped on any ambition that someone wants. Two boxers come out. They want to win the, they want to win the, win the match. What do you do? Put Philippians 4.13 on your trunks. You want to win the game? Put it on, put it on your eye, eye makeup. I don't know what it's not makeup. It's whatever it's called. You, you, you got some, some goal that listen, God may not be leadless. Just slap it on anything that you want to do. Now, is it a verse that has multiple applications? Absolutely. But the primary application is found within the text that it's written in. And the text is learning how to be content. And so that's the primary application of that verse that we love to slap on any idea that we have, any ambition, any endeavor, any game, any competition. Just slap that on there and claim that in the name of Jesus. But in the primary application of that verse, it's learning how to be content. It's sticking through it in a difficult time, even when you don't feel like a why. Because the Spirit of God empowers me to do the right thing, even when I don't feel like doing it. Even when I feel like, you know, I'm so discontent, I'm just going to go out and do something different. Something that's totally contrary to my values because I deserve it. He says, no, no, no. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to run out of time this morning. And I'm getting excited. I've torn my Bible in half here. So let me just give you a couple of practical warning signs about lacking contentment. Just some warning signs here, all right? Warning sign number one, you obsess about what's missing. Listen, guilty. Guilty. If something's not as good as it could be, not as perfect as it should be, not as further along progressing or as fast progressing as I think it should be, I obsess about it over and over and over. So I figure out a way to move it down the field, whatever it is. I just want to improve it and I'm going to obsess about it. But you know what I found out? Is it doesn't have to be perfect for God to bless it. But matter of fact, God chooses to pour out His grace on things that are imperfect. Because if it were perfect, God wouldn't get into glory, would he? Everybody says, well, it's perfect. Perfect environment, perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect kids, perfect job. Everything's perfect. But when something's imperfect and God chooses to bless it, it's a sign of his activity. So when you obsess about what's missing, oh, my, my, my spouse doesn't do that. My, my, you know, my employer should do this. My, you know, this, if I, all the things that are missing. And it comes up in the form of a question. If I just had blank, then I'd be more content or I'd be happier in life and that question reveals often the seeds of discontentment in our hearts so number one you obsess about what's missing number two you disregard the bible's warnings about debt disregard the bible's warnings about debt now listen debt is not sin i've heard people preach that legalistically that, oh it's sin and you know all those and i've always asked that Do you, did you pay cash for your house well no but the bible gives some strong warnings about it it talks about being the borrower, being slave to the lender. And if you keep buying things you cannot afford on credit that you do not need, there is a chance that Visa is fueling your lack of contentment. That you just say, you know, what? I, I just if I, I just I want to get that. And if I got that, I'd feel better about myself or I'd just be a little happier. And I know I can't afford it, but I'm just going to pursue it on credit and I'll pay for it later. The desire to have more and more and more just overwhelms a person so many times that they end up in some financial mess. Now, here's the parallel of that is this is God has given us ambition. Matter of fact, the Bible talks often about hard work. The Bible talks about earning your way. The Bible talks about investing wisely, all those kinds of things. And so how do I strike this balance between ambition and contentment? I mean, how do I come to a place where I say, God, I'm going to all the resources you give me, all the talents you give me, all the opportunities you give me, all the relationships you've given me, every every intellect you've given me. God, it's all to give from you. And so I want to be ambitious for the things of God. I want to make the most. I want to be a good steward of all of those things. But on the other side, I want to be content. I want to make the most of what I have, but I never want to come to a place where I say it's not enough. If I had a little more, I'd be happy. Well, I'm not very good at that. And so I began reading up this week and I came across a Bible study on contentment written by Bob Russell. Uh, he was the pastor of Southeast Christian Church, uh, one of the largest churches in the country. It's in uh, Louisville, uh, Kentucky. If you don't know where Louisville, Kentucky is, it's the place where that other college basketball team plays in the state of Kentucky. Amen. So he, here's what he said. He said three lessons that Solomon teaches us about ambition. Lesson number one is this. A healthy ambition is God given and should be encouraged. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. He says, look at the ant, look how wise it is. Right? He didn't say go to the cat, because it's the laziest and dumbest animal on the planet. Amen. He says, go to the ant. 
Look how ambitious the ant is. Look, look, follow that example. In fact, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, even before they sinned, he gave them work to do. Tend the garden, take care of these things. So healthy ambition is God-given and should be encouraged. Principle number one on this issue of ambition. Number two, lack of ambition is sinful and should be resisted. It is sinful and should be resisted. But listen to these words from Proverbs about a lack of ambition or laziness. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. Laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. Over and over and over again, you read the book of Proverbs about all these warnings about a lazy person and none of them are complimentary. And so lesson number three is this, is that uncontrolled ambition is dangerous and must be restricted. It's dangerous and must be restricted. Ecclesiastes 7.18 says this, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. And I suspect this morning that given the choice, many of you here this morning, if you said, oh, I'm kind of on that spectrum, being content, being ambitious, you're probably leaning too much on the overly ambitious. I just need to sock a little more away. I just need to get a little further in my career. I just need to get a little more. Find out. And when I get here, when I get here, then I'll rest and slow down. And so how do we guard against that? About that overriding ambition. Let me give you two spiritual safeguards. And we're almost done. Two safeguards against uncontrolled ambition. Number one, ambition must be restricted by our love for family. It's got to be kept in check, my love for family. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven says this, a greedy man brings trouble to his family. Now, on more than one occasion, I have been in the room with dying people. On more than one occasion. And not a single time did a person ever say, I should have spent more time in the office. Not once. And some of you, the greatest gift you'll ever give to your family is not something you can buy at Target. It's the gift of time. And you say, well, when I get to this point, I'll slow down. When I get my savings up to here, when I investments, when I college, listen. You're going to spend all of your time and have all your ducks in a row and be looking across the table at Christmas at total strangers one year. Where'd the time go? Where'd the time go? And so ambition is restricted by our love for family, number two, is ambition is restricted by our love for God. And this is the issue of personal integrity. Proverbs 11, 11, 18 says this. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Listen, warning sign. If, you, if you're compromising some integrity, if you think, you know what, no one's going to know, and this is just a small thing, and, and it's a little compromise of my integrity, but it would really help me out financially. That is a warning sign. You have ambition out of control. I love Proverbs 22, 1. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Well, listen, I know it's hard. I know that we're in a season of, of just marketing and all, all the things that are going on. Listen, I know it's hard. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, God has promised the resource to get victory in this area of contentment that we often struggle with and the spirit does not empower you apart from you choosing to empower him it, it just doesn't automatically happen but you say god you know what I, I could i could get that i have the resources to get that i have the resources to do that but i'm just going to choose to be content because all i have all i have is all i need 
All I have is all I need. And some of you this week, if you could open up any gift under the tree, it would be joy. Overflowing, overwhelming joy. For some of you, it would be love. Unconditional, consistent love. For some of you, it'd be forgiveness. And if I could open that box up and forgiveness would just spring out of there, it would change my life. But I'm telling you that with Jesus Christ, all you have is all you need this year. And I pray that you choose Him maybe for the first time today or you rekindle an old relationship with Him during this Christmas season and you come to that place and you say, you know what? A couple things on my list that didn't get crossed off. But I've got a relationship with Jesus. And so I can say with integrity, all I have is all I need. And His name is Jesus. I invite you to bow your heads this morning if you would.